What is going on, everyone? Thank you for joining us on your Thursday afternoon over here at Pardon the Disruption. We are happy to have you tuning in. Real quick, I am your host, Matthew Potter, short sale king, also hedge fund connection and co-founder of The Family Tree at Real Broker. Go ahead and hit me up for more information on any of those wonderful three things. We're going to go ahead and explain today's rules for everybody. We're going to try to keep this one under control, but with this panel, all bets are off. <laughs> what will happen is everybody will have 45 seconds to answer one of the six questions that we uh, will present to them. After that, we have two minutes where everybody will chop it up, and then we will go ahead and award a point in the event that I am indecisive, which will not happen today. I can promise you that. We would go ahead and go to the studio audience for them to go ahead and shoot us a, uh, you know, uh, an answer of who wins that round. Also, for our sixth question, we are going to go ahead and have you guys go ahead and comment, or you can text in at 33777 question and have yours featured. I'm going to go ahead and introduce our panel today, starting off with Steve Trang. Hey, what's up, everybody? Steve Trang, Real Estate Disruptors. I'm Super excited for today's show. We've got a bunch of chaos already before we even started. Uh, been doing this for close to 16 years now, seeing almost anything and everything that can go wrong in a, in a transaction. And uh, we do have our live uh, two-day sales training coming up at the end of the month. If you're interested in attending inside our office, go to salesdisruptors.com. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. Next up, we have the always happy Eric Brewer. What's up, everybody? Pleased to be here. Um, even though Jimmy's on the show this week, um, <laughs> through that. one of only two people that were actually invited to be on this show, both Leon and Jimmy are stand-ins. So I represent 50% of the talent here. The other two are just simply mannequins with a mic. So happy to be here. Um, excited to, to get started. This should be an easy win for me today. <laughs> 50% of the talent, 100% no points. Next up, we have Batman. What's going on, Leon G. Barnes? Yeah, so I get a late bat signal to come on in. So apparently, you know, the, the other 50% talent has no talent because part of being talented is the availability piece of being on the show. So I'm not going to name any names. My name is Leon G. Barnes. I'm here to represent the collective genius and uh, come out of here with the win here today. Absolutely. Very happy to have you here, Leon. And last, but certainly not least everybody's favorite character. We have Jimmy Vreeland. What's going on boss. Hey, hi everybody. Uh, Jimmy Vreeland, cash flow tactics. Uh, I've been out of the country. Last time I was on the show, I had a dominating come from behind victory. Uh, <laughs> so I'm happy to be here to defend my title. <laughs> yeah, not not gonna lie, that one's still in dispute, boss. It's still Dude, in the dispute. last five minutes. I the most like per second. It has to be a pardon disruption record. It absolutely, and we are all more informed for watching that episode. <laughs> yes, you right. dominating a dominating win when you did not win the point total. That's, that's absolutely. This is this is why we haven't invited RJ back yet. All right, we're going to go ahead and jump into it with our first question today. What type of real estate investing are you not doing right now that you would want to do in the future? Go ahead and start us off, Steve. You know, I I thought about this. I don't really have a great answer here because, you know, uh, if part of me wants to get into multifamily, but 
truly, like, do I want to get into multifamily? I don't know. I'm not sure if that's the direction I ultimately want to go. But, you know, all the different options out there between self-storage and multifamily and everything else, I would say maybe one day become a GP uh, on, the, on the multifamily side, you know, having a, a team that actually reaches out to all the landlords and the owners and cool calling them and mailing them and this and, and that. I guess I forfeit this year. I'm not really excited about any particular real estate inv- uh, investing opportunities. I, I'm pretty happy with what I got going on. And I think if I were to expand, it would be outside real estate. Ooh. Okay. Steve's when off in the metaverse. He's off in the metaverse. It's a interesting question. Who do we, who gets the blame for that? Look, Jimmy, wait your turn. Wait your turn. <laughs> Next up, Eric, what are your thoughts? A uh, big shocker there that Steve didn't have a good answer. So <laughs> wish I had that three seconds of my life back when I heard Captain Optimus <laughs> there. But um, actually, I think um, for me, um, prior to the rates changing and the market becoming a little unpredictable, I thought I was moving in the direction of doing like large development deals, multifamily deals. And with, you know, and you look at single family and how rates have impacted that. Um, folks that operate on larger deals have seen 10 times the disruption there and there's just much higher stakes. So um, yeah, multifamily land development, um, new construction deals for me, I thought was something that I was right at the, 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 the I was right there. Um, and this kind of scared me off. So I would suspect once I'm able to just gain more sort of knowledge to, you know, subside the nervousness I have in the future, I would hope to be able to do those larger deals on land development. Um, and multifamily. Another vote for multifamily. All right, Leon, what you got? So you have me to blame for this question, Jimmy, and here's why. <laughs> I get this almost <laughs> on a daily about real estate investors telling me that they want to use this to scale to something else. And when I say this, I'm talking specifically in single family. So most of them are in single family wanting to get into multifamily self-storage or some type of commercial asset. And usually the answer, the right answer is, you know, get really good laser focus on what you're doing and build your foundation first. And then if you want to go into something else, you can do that. For me personally, I'm very intrigued uh, by still doing something that I currently do with residential rentals with mixed use, small commercial buildings. Um, In a lot of communities in the Midwest where I invest, There are a lot of older buildings that were built in the late 1800s, early 1900s that need renovation. And it could be commercial downstairs, one or two tenants with another one to five tenants upstairs as well. So for me, it's not too far outside of what I'm currently doing, just adding a little bit of commercial space um, on the downstairs. So commercial mixed use is something that I look forward to doing in the future. Awesome. Thanks for... uh... Thanks for bringing this question to the table. Jimmy's clearly thrilled about it. Jimmy, go ahead and answer this one for us. Um, yeah, I think it'd be cool to like have Airbnbs on places I want to travel. Like my my favorite place is uh, Branson. Uh, it's a huge lake in Missouri. I'd love to have like 10, 10 Airbnbs so that I could do a, a lot more wakeboarding. But great answer. Great question, Leon. I think Leon, uh, Jimmy's the guy, right? Like... You know, you got that group of friends like, hey, where do you want to go for dinners? I'm totally open for whatever. Okay, hey, how about this place? No, I hate that place. Okay, how about this place? No, I don't like that place either. <laughs> doesn't matter what you recommend. He hates everything. But he doesn't want to do any of the suggestions. Out of all the places that he could have named there, he wants to air, own Airbnbs. He could have said Paris. He could have said anywhere I'm a simple, in the United I'm States. I'm a simple man, Leon. 
My man said Branson, Missouri. I thought when he said places I want to spend time, he was going to say the men's locker room. Like that would be like, <laughs> like not a nice well, little, you know. Little Eric, I actually do rent lockers and locker I do rent lockers in several men's locker rooms around the St. Louis area. So you're Makes spot sense. on about that. Makes yeah. sense. I believe so, that. Now let, let's utilize this time to help the audience though, in regards to the things that they want, they think they want to do today. <laughs> Um, and, and why, you know, those, those things should be potentially delayed before just going and jumping into something that you don't know. Well, let me just touch on multifamily really quick. And like, it's something that, you know, I've always, we've always thought like, I'm going to grow and scale and eventually I'm going to go to commercial multifamily, whatever. The things that I've learned about multifamily in the last couple of years is, you know, the, the valuation is a good amount of it is tied to what you can borrow at. And we've been at historic lows and interest rates. Right. And so the interest rates and the, and the Fed rate hike, it directly impacts the valuation of apartments. So for me, there's a little bit of concern there. Um, it, it's great for tax strategies this and, and this and that. Uh, Eric and I have had conversations uh, going back probably more than a year, maybe more than two years now, about maybe investing in other businesses and the reason why. And, and, and there, you don't get the tax benefits, right? Because you, you don't get depreciation. Um, there's going to be a little bit more activity, but there's significantly more cash flow, right? So for me, that's the reason why I'm looking at, uh, I'm less excited about multifamily. I'm still going to do it, but it wouldn't be to buy and hold. It would be more of a buy and fix it up. And at some point, exit it. I think there's going to be an opportunity in the next six to 36 months of buying multifamily that's significantly distressed prices. Would it be safe to say that if we're you're looking at moving into something else to already have a foundation though of you know reoccurring predictable revenue before you move on into something before you know you move into something that you don't know well i mean i think that's that safe to say i think you should absolutely surround yourself with people that are in the space that are having success at it i mean fortunately i mean i was i was mentioned to eric earlier it's like it's interesting right like unironically before we all hang out next week this is the cg crew right i mean you got tim brats randy lawrence uh big Big Mike, right? Mike Zlotnick. Uh, you got Chris. Mike Watson. Yeah, you got Chris. You got Brian Adams. Like Chris Litzler, right? Like you got all the right people in one room. Say, hey, mm -hmm. I want to get into multifamily. What are some things I must know before even going down this road? I think first things first, you got to educate yourself. And we always talk about don't overeducate. Don't get stuck in analysis paralysis. Multifamily is no joke. You got you to gotta know what you're doing. All right, that was a that was an absolutely riveting round by our uh, esteemed panel. We're gonna go ahead and give that one to Leon G. Barnes, though. Two reasons: number one, Batman came in and saved the day. Number two, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely love the mixed use. You know, especially with like the you know, I'm just picturing like Midwestern like saloons from the 1800s. You know that that's where that's where my mind went with it. All right, next up. What's the one thing in real estate investing that you love the most? And what one part of the job brings you the most joy daily? Go ahead and start us off, Leon. Yeah, so this is something that, um, you know, it took me a long time to get to this point because I've always been someone that um, is a doer, you know, is somebody that doesn't delegate, hasn't delegated well in the past. 
Um, and so it's, it's taken me a long time to get to the point of where I, you know, my, what's my superpower? What do I enjoy? What fills my bucket? And for me, it's always been about helping others achieve the things that they want to achieve, whether that's coaching kids in basketball or helping sellers or in this community, helping as to Steve's point, if somebody wants to learn about multifamily, connecting them with somebody that has a blueprint, has a roadmap to go down that road uh, and hand them that blueprint so they don't have to go down that road without knowing where they're going. They have a, a mentor automatically. So uh, helping others through connecting in the community, like with I, what I do with CG. And then the second part of that is I love real estate investing because we solve problems every single day, every single month. We're purchasing properties that typically sellers can't sell a traditional, uh, going a traditional route. Awesome. Lo- love the uh, love answering both parts of the questions. Let's hopefully keep that up. Jimmy, go ahead and answer this two-parter for us. What you got? Uh, I still love the, the negotiating on deals like every day, whether we're buying from another wholesaler to turnkey or I don't go, go on uh, every appointment. But when I still go on an appointment and like get the contract, like I, I'm still like excited and like fired up. Like it, it makes my day. So I still uh, love the negotiating part and the deal making. And then uh, when you see a team member kind of grow or do something they didn't think they could do, that is also incredibly rewarding. Absolutely love that. Absolutely. All right, Steve, what about you? Uh, so this is going to sound really weird, but I think for me, the thing I love most about real estate investing is that it allows me to be the best father I can possibly be. You know, I, it allows me the time freedom, the, the ability to spend time with my kids and being a business owner and, and as real estate pro, uh, specifically, but probably in general, you got to spend a lot of time personal development. You got to be the best version of yourself and the ability to take everything we learn and teach it to our kids, right? And have them be contributing citizens to society in the future. I mean, for me, I just love watching how much my kids have grown uh, and, and, and matured. And I think, you know, compared to their, their friends, they're, you know, they're, they've gotten an advantage there. And then the second part about the part that brings me the most joy daily, um, I would say solving difficult challenges, right? I kind of said in the intro, you know, I've seen almost anything and everything that can go wrong in a transaction. So when they bring me deals like, hey, here's where we're at. Here's the situation. Here's where the buyer's at. Here's where the seller's at. Here's what's going on with this piece of land. Here's what the city wants, blah, blah, blah. Just being able to sit down, look at the problem, and come up with a solution that makes everybody happy. That part always fires me up. Nice. Steve, Steve took us in a little little bit different direction there. I dig it. I dig it. All right, Eric, what about you, boss? Um. So for the first part, I would say, like, if you think about when we talk about real estate, generally, let's say residential, it's people's homes, right? And then you think about inside of homes or like Steve's answer, families, right? So when you talk about families and homes, there's a, a, a pretty measurable gesundheit Thank you. of emotion <laughs> attached to a home, right? And then you combine it with, with money, like real estate's a high stakes game, right? It has big implications. It has massive impacts on people's well-being. So I love playing high stakes games, right? Like there's a lot of people counting on us. When someone sells us a home, I think a lot of times as an investor, we see it as just a calculation of ARV minus reno and a little bit of profit. Um, but there's, I would say, a, a much bigger um, set of circumstances on the other side. And I, I sort of thrive on that pressure. I like it. 
to know that there's a lot of people counting on you. The second part would be, you know, building homes, remodeling homes. Like there's homes in, in my market in Pennsylvania that have been around for 200 years. So there's this certain legacy of things that we do today, people will benefit from, and it'll leave an imprint on society hundreds of years after we're gone. And, you know, for me, as I imagine, hopefully that the world's in a slightly better place than it was than when I got here. Um, real estate sort of gives you a unique path to be able to have that impact. And those two things for me are, I think, what attracts me so much to this business. Chop it up. The reason that this is another one of my Jimmy, uh, one of my specials here, Jimmy, and the reason that I brought this question to the table <laughs> is because when talking to real estate investors, um, most times they say that they want to scale into something, but a lot of times they're scaling out of their happiness. Um, this comes from conversations. I, I typically talk to Phoenix's own um, Doug Hopkins, your mayor out there. <laughs> I talk to him once a month, CG member. And, uh, you know, he's somebody that is one of the most, you know, one of the largest real estate investors in the United States. And yet he still gets job joy out of going. He runs acquisitions. He runs appointments. And so sometimes what we think is happiness for us uh, is getting into something bigger, better, or whatever, and focus on finding what, you know, makes, gives you the most job joy today. And it doesn't mean that you ever have to get out of that seat, hire people to do the other things that don't give you job joy and drain you. Yeah. And that's so Leon, point, Leon. And, ahead, and you're like, what you're observing from these questions as people get, you know, you go from your basic newcomer in select to Doug Hopkins, like, been doing it very well for a very long time like does the grass is always greener scenario in your opinion lessen as people get more experienced i think people automatically assume that that they they can grind for especially the younger investor they can grind for a year or two and then they can go sit you know do the four-hour work week i think that's a, unfortunately um social media and youtube give a lot of uh, information that people have built businesses. Um, but at the same time, the downfall of that is that they have a lot of people tell them how easy it can be after you get to this and you need to hire an integrator or a COO and those type of things. So um, getting into a CEO role or, or, or something else within, within your company may not be the thing that you love to do. So the reason that I'm bringing, I brought this to the table was, Focus on what brings you the most job joy, and then you don't work. Then it doesn't become a nine to five W two like like RJ has. Yeah, <laughs> and I think you know you talk about uh, what we love, right? So again, I was talking about like I love solving complex problems, right? And you know, you guys were talking about earlier. You you bring people in, you level them up, they learn the skills, and they solve the problems. They don't need your help, and that's incredibly rewarding. But in doing that, also the part that I love the most still is solving complex problems. Yeah. And, but at the same time, to Eric's point, how many times in your community on a, a house that you have renovated, Eric, Jimmy, you the same thing? Because I know I've done it. When I'm driving down the street with my boys in the back and saying, hey, yeah, daddy did that house and daddy did that house and daddy did that house. You're, pri you're prideful of your community because it's the old broken glass theory, right? The more houses, the, the more buildings, what have you, that you're rehabbing in your community, it makes your community that much better. So there's a lot of pride that goes into that as well. 
I can't believe I'm actually going to say this. I think this is the first time that I've ever awarded a point to Jimmy V. <laughs> Mainly just because, like, dude, you nailed it, man. Nothing gets me more jazz than that negotiation and just winning. Like, even to this day, like this morning, I told my wife, I was like, yo, I'm like, I just got this deal under contract. I was bouncing around like, you know, it was the 80s and I'd just been at a party. So, anyways. Well, we're gonna go ahead and go on to the next one. Good job, Jimmy. So Everybody's. I think Eric wants some clarity question? on that on that point. <laughs> do, we, do we open the next question, or I'd like to follow this with another question. <laughs> All right, we're gonna go ahead and go to we're gonna go ahead and go to the next question. Uh, what are your thoughts on? I'm gonna butcher this guy's name. I apologize. I do not speak French. What are your thoughts on Bernard Arnault becoming the richest person through real estate? Go ahead and start us off, Jimmy V. Uh, no surprise, whatever. The greatest creator of millionaires is clearly real estate because uh, pretty much the entire economic system, at least the federal United States system, is has always been dedicated to greasing the skids for real estate investors. Like on the CG Select call today, Leon, I we talked about uh, being a real estate professional and that how it affects your taxes. Like there is no good economic reason to create a real estate uh a real estate professional designation for people to take passive losses on active income, other than that the government has always supported real estate investors. Every founding father was a real estate investor, and they built a system to support real estate investors. So this does not surprise me in any way, shape, or form. I'm surprised that the richest guy was not a real estate investor. My man ain't wrong. All right, Steve, what you got? Well, I think... If you follow that story, right, he he got into real estate. A, his dad was already in real estate, so it wasn't like he just kind of started from the bottom, right? So his dad was in real estate, convinced him to do uh, more development, but then he took that wealth that he uh, had accumulated and started investing in businesses, right? This is how you got Louis Vuitton, Hennessy, Moet, um, and some other brands that I don't even know what the heck they are. Right. Tiffany, Dior, big names. Yeah, big, well, big names, right? Steve, all the places I shop at. <laughs> yeah, so clearly. But you saw, like, there's two ways to create wealth. Or two of the most, uh, two of the biggest ways to create wealth is owning a business or real estate. He took the real estate uh, success and he put it into business. And that's kind of what I was talking about for question one. Like, for me, as we expand, I'm going to start investing in other businesses to to diversify, and I think maybe potentially create a little bit more upside. So I think it's awesome. I think, you know, even listening to Eric earlier, right, he loves developing. That's what Bernard's family did. So there's, it's amazing how much connection there is through, uh, in wealth being created through real estate. And it's nice to have one in the top 10, top 100, because most of those other guys are CEOs or, or invented something. So it's cool to be represented, number one, that he, had, uh, he started in real estate. Absolutely, absolutely. Eric, what are your thoughts? I gotta be honest, I just Googled this guy two minutes ago. So should have read the chat, uh, bro. Should have read the chat. <laughs> so, but like quickly reading over it, right? It's like I expected to only see the thing in Wikipedia to be about real estate. Um, looks like he was um, out of high school, went to a very prestigious engineering school. His father had accumulated some wealth in businesses and he convinced his dad to pivot into real estate but continued to thrive in the building and, and, and scaling of businesses. And I think as you look back on every entrepreneur over the history of time, there's always been an element of real estate, whether it was how they started their business 
or at some point, everybody that accumulates a certain amount of wealth develops a massive tax problem. So a lot of these people that develop these brands like Louis Vuitton and Dior and Tiffany and all of this amazing stuff, they create a ton of active income and the government taxes the living piss out of it. So the only way for them to be able to really retain all of this wealth that they create is deploying it into hard assets. And then over time, the guy doesn't look like he's in his 20s. He's been at this now for 50 plus years. That the, the, the value of the assets he bought 50 years ago have 10xed in value. So he's not only retained all of that equity, he's retained probably a large portion of his active income from his businesses because he has the real estate to offset the tax bill. So to me, whether it's him or the other 50 people on the Forbes list, there's always an element of real estate in it. You either need to start there or at some point pivot a lot of your active income to protect it into real estate. Very valid points there, Eric. We we appreciate the breakdown and the tax the living piss. I think that's the first time we've ever had that on PDD. That's how it feels. <laughs> Man, you it's ain't lying, though. You ain't lying. <laughs> All right, Leon, what are your thoughts? That is, by the way, a metric that the IRS uses. There's a piss level that they have when you make enough, you make enough money. Um, I appreciate this question because like Eric, I, I really didn't know the richest man in the world and uh, did a little research uh, on him because I, I thought it was Elon. But in, in, from what I read too, based upon Tesla's stock recently, Elon has taken this, this position back. So I think it's going to go back and forth. But what I enjoyed the most about reading, it's not like he started from the bottom by any means, but he, what he did do is take his father's construction company, $15 million from a liquidation on that side to turn it into timeshares in France and some in the Mediterranean. And he really utilized that to leverage into buying brands. And if you look at the Forbes list of top 10 uh, wealthiest people in the world, they have either purchased or built massive brands, Microsoft, Tesla, um, um, Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, they have built these massive, massive brands. And what I loved about it is he made some bold and super strategic moves on a foundation built by that strategic move that he made with his dad's company in construction. And, and, and we all know that are in construction. <laughs> if you can take that uh, and get out of that, because the margins are a lot less in the construction business than they are in the real estate business, even though you need kind of like peanut butter and jelly you need both but i'd rather be on the real estate side than the construction so i was very super impressed and uh he was able to make some strategic and bold moves because of real estate chop it up like so steven a... steven eric do you guys think you're looking for other businesses because all the leadership skills you've found in your real estate businesses you're like wait a minute i can transfer this other places oh absolutely yeah. Absolutely. Jimmy, think yeah. about this. What's the normal house an investor looks for? Three, two, 1,200 square feet. A and what upper. are the characteristics of the fixer upper owned by an elderly owner, right? If I put 10 grand into it, I can get 40 back out. There's businesses out there that are the exact same. Think about the majority of investors' businesses. They can't step away from it. They're in the business for 25 years. And if they were to take their eyes off the prize for two days to go away on a trip, the business shuts down. So they have an income producing asset. They may want to retire. They can't sell the business. They can't turn it over to someone else. So a business that should probably sell at a five multiplier can be bought at a one multiplier. 
And then you come in and you implement systems and processes, elevated marketing and sales tactics. Now it has a repeatable, sustainable amount of profit. And you can turn a million dollar net business into a $2 million net business that someone will pay 10 million for. So you buy it for one, get it up to two and sell it for 10. Like it's the same thing we do with houses, just higher stakes. That's all. Yeah. If you look at it, like in our, in our industry, the reason why there's so like the systems and process and everything else is, is there is because this is probably, I don't know if there's a more cutthroat business there may be out there, but this is one of the most cutthroat businesses, right? You've got to be on your A game to be doing well right now in this market. You've got to be on your A game. Right, you've got to maximize every lead opportunity. You got to know ROI, cash conversion cycle for all your data sources and this and that. You got to manage your people at a high level so they don't compete, leave to compete against you. There are a lot of things we have to do to execute right now, and that's not necessary in lower margin businesses. But in those lower margin businesses, they've got challenges that they can improve efficiencies that can increase those margins. So we can come in and add a ton of value to a business right now. Um, that they don't need all these systems and processes in place. So for us, I see an opportunity to come in, add our sales skills, add our marketing skills, add our leadership skills, add our financial uh, IQ, and you can drastically improve business. It's basically, you know what Marcus Limonis uh, has done yeah. over and over again with uh, the the profit. Alex Hermosi, right? He wrote a book just so other business owners can say, "Hey, I'll give you thirty percent of my business if you could just teach me everything you know." Right? There's a lot of opportunity out there that we're all fighting over houses. And we got Kyle Malian, you know, a peer, a, a colleague of ours, who's just buying all these businesses across the country. All right. So that was an interesting round. I'm not going to lie. It's a real noodle scratcher over here. And yes, I just said that for everybody. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do something that I've never done before. I'm going to take a page out of RJ's book. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give a point to Steve and Eric on that round. That's what I'm going to do. Um, because that's just what I feel like doing right now. So good answer, gents. Uh, definitely appreciate it. Real quick, before we go on to our next question, we're going to go ahead and kick it on over to Steve for a word from Kiavi. Yeah, so with capital thinning in today's market, it is crucial for real estate investors to build relationships with reliable lenders to access the capital that they need. That's where Kiavi comes in, whether you're flipping houses or investing in rental properties. Kiavi offers fast approvals, high leverage, and reliable capital to close more deals in any market environment. Through their easy online process and dedicated support, you can access the flexible loan options that help you scale your business confidently. Go to kiavi.com slash real estate disruptors to learn more and download your prequal letter in minutes. Terms and conditions do apply. So go to kiavi.com for further details about potential loan options for you. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Next question. This one... I think that we're probably going to get a unanimous decision. I don't know. How important is one's health and well-being for becoming a successful entrepreneur? We're going to go ahead and start this one off with you, Steve. Go ahead. Uh, so, the, you know, I think you're probably right with the, uh, unanimous here. So what was it? A, a, prob a person with a lot of money has lots of problems. A person with poor health has one problem, right? Like nothing else matters if you're not healthy, right? If you're, uh, if you're sick, if you're on, you know, God forbid, your deathbed, it's one thing you're wishing for is to get back out there and be healthy. Uh, the other thing, too, is your body is your vehicle. You cannot do things if you're, hate to say it, right, but if you're grossly out of shape, 
it's gonna be hard to execute. You're gonna be tired all the time. You're gonna be sluggish. So in order to be able to run a business the right way, you need a ton of energy. And if you're not taking care of your health, if you're eating Doritos, drinking Mountain Dew, getting Taco Bell or McDonald's all the time, you're gonna have a hard time running a business and let alone, not, not just that, people that are successful are not gonna to wanna to hang around with you. So I think your, your health and well being are absolutely critical to your success. Steve, did you um, just fat shame our entire audience? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> if, if someone got hurt, that sucks. Holy shit. <laughs> I'd like um, for Steve to explain what luggish means. He said, if you don't exercise, you take, I just. That's what you take to the airport. <laughs> you're like uh, you're lovish. all right all right uh, I'm, I'm glad someone muted eric uh, i'm <laughs> i'm i'm doing the lord's work over here don't mind me um on an unrelated note i'm gonna go ahead and cancel steve's taco bell DoorDash delivery that was headed into the office right now all right eric what you got worry, for it's us, a boss? um you know it's funny I, I started may of this year down a journey of taking better care of myself and it was really prompted by a post from someone that has recently joined collective genius the guy's name's cole taylor and he wrote this article and at first i looked at it and i was mad and it said i think the first line said something like this will be an unpopular opinion if you're fat and out of shape no one takes you serious as a leader and he had it like bold large font and as you read down it it's like anybody that you relatively you meet that they're relatively new their first impression of is how can you be a leader? You lack the discipline to take care of your body. How can you be a leader? You're probably always tired. How can you be a leader? You can't go up a flight of steps. And it really resonated with me. Um, since then, with his guidance, I've lost over 50 pounds. And it's been remarkable. So I can actually speak. While I have a long road to travel, I'm up now at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm active. Um, I get to go do things like play basketball and compete and be with a group of friends. Um, like when we go to Collective Genius and, and even when I'm home, um, that has, I went seven and zero last trip, by the way, Steve. So I'm sure you were seven and zero. you guys beat me six on four. Finally on day four, you, you had to exhaust all get back options to, the to get, get a back w. to the question. <laughs> so anyway, um, my experience as collective genius has, has changed as a result, which I already thought was as good as it can get because now I'm able to enjoy that process more. So, um, I think everybody would say that this is a hundred percent critical, but there's lots of us out there that sometimes don't make decisions that align with that. So we constantly need to be reminded that taking better care of our bodies makes us smarter. We think quicker. We're more empathetic. Um, we're more aware. It literally changes everything. When I work out at five in the morning, I'm, I'm a better person from bell to bell throughout the day. Absolutely love that, Eric. Congratulations on that. One thing that I do want to point out though, unless you're time traveling, may of last year not may of this year so you know it's a my, it's a rolling 12 month cycle nah, so it's always, eh. it's it's always <laughs> eric's really good with criticism all right <laughs> next, next up, Leon, what that you got awesome. for us <laughs> Leon. Leon. oh all right i'm up well <laughs> I uh, did not hear you there. Uh, maybe because I'm, I'm not eating healthy enough, I can't hear. Um, 
So they say health is wealth for a reason, right? Um, I have been blessed uh, to witness uh, my good friend, Eric Brewer, through his journey recently of losing uh, weight. He was a super successful person before he went on that journey. Um, and I have seen him become a better uh, business owner, a better father, a better friend. Well, we'll say a little bit better friend. But the other things I've seen him get so much better at as a leader. Um, and, you know, I, I look at this now, and especially as you start to get older, because in our 20s and our 30s, we think we can, you know, do anything. I'm actually in better shape cardiovascularly um, from in my 40s than I was in my 30s, uh, because I have to when leading an organization, both my investment business and also within the collective genius community, I have to be better. Um, I, heard, I heard Charles Barkley say some, one of my favorite people to listen to. I heard him say in an interview recently that his doctor said to him, how many overweight people do you know that are old? Like, seriously, like uh, people that are overweight, how many of them do you know in your 80s that are in their 80s or 90s, right? In order for all of us to continue to be the best of our, uh, the best that uh, uh, of who we can be, clearly, you know, obviously, health as well. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's a very valid point. It's, um, you know, unfortunately, you just don't see it. All right, Jimmy, what are your thoughts, boss? Uh, I think it's kind of like a chicken in the uh, chicken in the egg problem, like. If you became a successful entrepreneur, but your health is garbage, like what it, what's it really, you, are you serving your business or is your business serving you? And that the importance of a morning routine, the importance of getting your brain active, getting moving before the rest of your team up is up, I think is vitally important, not only to be a successful entrepreneur, but also to be a successful leader. Like if you're waking up, uh, you know, and rolling in like right out of bed to your team, and you're clearly, this is the first hour you've been up. I don't think you're going to have that effective of a morning. <laughs> like I like to have most of my stuff done before I interact with my team. I like to know from Leon, I, I get that, you know, 40s, you're healthier than your 30s. Like how's, how's your 50s so far? That's a great <laughs> question. I've got four more years to find out, thankfully. I'm on the other side of 40, but I'm not there yet. Um, but I, I will say that to Jimmy's point, um, you know, I, I just ran my second half half marathon and made the decision to run a marathon. Never thought I would, um, never wanted to, quite frankly. But there's something that, uh, to Jimmy's point, with discipline. The word that we 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 haven't really brought up here is discipline. Um, and in order for us to to get that across to our teams, um, to our my, my kids, the example that I want to set for them. Uh, in life. Um, I think this is, it all fundamentally starts with, with health. Cause I can tell you this, I'm an absolute baby when I'm sick uh, and I don't get much done. Uh, and the days that I am sick, I miss out on a lot of things that I could have, um, you know, helped with for my family and businesses. Yeah. And I think just again, kind of going back to your, uh, I mean, we all said it, but the, the first impression, right? Like you're going out, you're raising private capital, you're going out, you're trying to recruit top talent. We are a first impression society. There's no Absolutely. way to change that, right? If you show up, it's, they're, they're going to judge you. There's nothing you can do about that. I think Jimmy actually said it best. It's like the chicken in the, um, 
Bien. He likes chicken. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah. He's just following his favorite president. It's fine. Oh, he he starts awesome. talking about food and he just gets a delay. He's delay yeah. on my food. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Drew, I saw you like waiting by your bike, waiting to hammer me on that one. I'm, hey, I'm glad you got it. In. He had a little bit of Mike Moulton moment there, didn't he? They go, oh, <laughs> Jimmy, what do you have to say? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, ne- never a dull moment on the never a dull moment on this show. <laughs> we're we're gonna go ahead, uh, just based on actually, you know walking the walk we're gonna go ahead and give this round to uh eric you know again congratulations on the 50 pound loss that's absolutely amazing um i'm you know i speak for everybody on the panel that's great you know we want to keep you around for a long time so we can talk some shit um but in addition to that hopefully you can learn about that rolling 12 month you know may of this year thing when we're in march I'll shoot right. you a uh, process map on how that works if you like Potter. A- absolutely, <laughs> please do. Please, please send it to Potter at willnotrespond.com. Thank you. Um, Got it. Steve said <laughs> that's where all your short tail leads go. So a- absolutely, <laughs> that's that's where they go. Um, <laughs> does the panel have a backup plan if real estate completely crashes or it reverts to government control? Start us off, Eric. I wouldn't say it's a backup plan um, because that would mean that I strongly consider what you just said as an option. Um, I don't think that's going to happen in any of our lifetimes. Um, But I would say that there would be signs of that coming and a true, you know, visionary leader should be able to see that as an opportunity. And at some point, the government's not going to be able to control and produce housing. It's there's, there's just no way it can be done. Um, so at some point where the government starts to take over potentially and have more of a say with things like rent control and things of that sort, I think it will inevitably create a new opportunity and the real entrepreneurs will be able to identify where that is. Maybe it's construction where the government, the government doesn't do anything, right? They don't produce anything. They just control it and award the contracts to people that actually run profitable businesses um, as opposed to the way that they run our budget. So, uh, no, I don't have a backup plan. I think for the next, I don't know, 60 to 70 years that I'm alive, um, real estate will still be in our control. Um, but if something were to happen, I would just be certain that I can see where the opportunity is being created and make sure that I lean into it and, and one of the you know first people to take advantage of it. So that would be my backup plan. Absolutely. Op- Opportunity always exists. All right, Leon, what about you, boss? I think I've got the best backup plan of anyone. I'm going to be the NIL manager for Mr. Camden Brewer. Eric's son is a a top high school football and basketball player. I'm going to go and find a way to get uh, 10 to 15% of his money off of uh, his NIL that he gets next year in college. Very proud of that young man. And uh, so I'm going to milk Cam Brewer for 10 to 15% on my backup plan. Uh, Obviously, I'm joking. Um, I believe in the Eddie Murphy backup plan. Um, um, His saying – He never had a backup plan. He always knew that he was going to be a successful comedian and actor. And he always said that if I had a backup plan that would have kept me away from the focus of 
doing what I truly love and want to do. So to Eric's point, I will figure out real estate, whatever the next lane is, that's where we're going. And we'll take a strategic move to monetize whatever it looks like in the future. Absolutely. No plan B's, no plan B's over here. All right, Jimmy, the king of no plan B, what you got? I would just say the ultimate hedge is delay. Uh, the ultimate hedge is to uh, continue to refine, continue to refine, continue to build your leadership, sales, marketing ability. It's kind of what we were saying earlier in the call. It doesn't necessarily matter what industry you're in, but those skill sets translate into any industry. So whether that would be becoming a uh, executive for somebody else's business in a different industry or do what Steve and Eric were talking about, buying a business in a uh, different industry. Like the ultimate hedge is becoming a leader, marketer, and salesperson. Perfect, perfect. All right, Steve, what are your thoughts on this? Well, again, like we were saying earlier, right? I think everyone here's skill set is universal, right? We, we're in real estate, but it's that skill set is available or is usable anywhere. So whether it's a sales consultant, a management consultant, whatever, I think there are all sorts of different options, but... Uh, so I don't have a backup plan, but if things change, I feel like all of us were, were very usable in a lot of different places. But my, now might be a good time to share my, my retirement plan, you know, uh, if if real estate doesn't work out. I mean, I'm planning when I retire to join Congress and become the best stock trader of all time. Right? I think that <laughs> the, the perks of inside info and, right, and becoming a hundred millionaire, like it was it a centimillionaire? millionaire. Right, there's so many centimillionaires in, in Congress. So, like, that's my retirement plan. Once I'm done working, I'm just gonna go run for office. So, I guess I guess you call that it'd be an early backup plan, maybe. You you're well, gonna need to buy some of the screenshots of our text messages from me if you ever think you're gonna run for office and get. I'm gonna make a hundred million dollars. I'll pay you whatever you want, Eric. That's <laughs> after you get to Congress. You got to get there first. If that stuff gets leaked, your chances profit share. Are profit share, Eric. Profit share. There's, a, well, there's one flaw in your backup plan there, Steve. Uh, you don't like people. Uh, you don't like to hug and uh, hug people. Uh, Perfect politician. He also hates human Politicians touch. don't care about you're people. Have to, do you know any babies you're going to have to kiss and people you're going to have to hug to become a politician? Exactly. People in social distancing. It's, it's, we'll, use, we'll use chat GPT to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. would have everybody on a permanent lockdown so we wouldn't have to touch anyone. Yeah, COVID, we're going to release COVID again. I'm going to run for office. That'll, and then we'll... That'll play well in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Okay, so I think we can all agree that Steve will be on the ballot in about 2036. That'll be a great time for everybody. We appreciate your support. A lot of text messages are going to be unsent in the group chat. <clears throat> Presidentialcashoffers.com. I bought that domain so I can text blast. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm surprised, I'm surprised you guys didn't say as a backup that you were just going to become, you know, social media stars. I mean, I thought that for sure would have been at least two of the three. Jimmy already is. <laughs> He's got that plaque behind him. <laughs> Isn't that what that's for? Yeah. I've already, I thought that plaque meant I was already social media famous. So I, I didn't know I, it, it didn't even <laughs> cross my mind. I think he got that down in Branson. <laughs> <laughs> At his they vacation home. Yeah, they give those out at Silver Dollar City, apparently. Leon, you've been there. It's the greatest place on earth. I, I wouldn't say greatest. It's it's awesome. It's not the greatest place on earth. <laughs> right there. 
Oh, man. All right. That was a great round. I appreciate everybody sharing their backup plans. Um, Not going to lie. Going to give that round, actually, to uh, Leon. Main reason why, way to capitalize off of uh, Eric's son. We really appreciate that. (laughs) Um, That's the plan. I, I go Eric's son first, and then I've got two sons following him. (laughs) <laughs> Ab- absolutely that was a strategic move i'm i'm impressed with that one not not gonna lie okay question six coming from our audience here how do you deal with your ego i've reached the goal of financial freedom that i set five years ago but instead of scaling back and taking less risk i'm pushing harder and risking even more start us off leon man that's a that's a tough one um i i just because it's for me, because I don't really, we all have egos. Um, but, uh, you know, one thing that we do within the Collective Genius and why this community has always resonated with me is we all check our egos at the door because no matter how big you are in any facet of your life or business, there's someone out there that's bigger and better um, at something, right? It, it, may not, it may not be better necessarily for you, but it, it's, it's better or bigger. Um, so for me, I, I'm always, I don't care if I was a billionaire, I'd be the same person that I am today. I just might have a few, a little bit more stuff. Um, but I will also say in, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with, with pushing the rock. Um, you know, as long as you set, um, you know, your standards of, of, you know, this is aggressive, I've got a little medium risk, uh, and then I've got, you know, my, opportunities for low risk. Uh, I think if you're diversified, you can st- kill, still still keep pushing the rock uh, while, you know, feeding your ego at the same time. All right. All right. Jimmy, what about you? Uh, I'd say the way I deal with it is uh, I think the best and worst part about being a, a business owner or leader <laughs> is that you're responsible for everything that happens. And, uh, you know, any business, there's constantly going to be mistakes happening. There's constantly going to be ways on getting over or getting better. And a big obstacle in my past to getting better and admitting fault has been my role in either not training somebody well enough, not do, you know, not getting clear enough direction. So I've been able to keep my ego in check. And I think it's a way to keep your ego in check when you take on responsibility and that. Every time you have an adverse event, you're looking at what could I personally have done better because I am ultimately responsible. Okay. Personal accountability. I dig it. All right, Steve, what you got? I really appreciate this question. It's a really deep question. And, you know, Leon talked about it. Every time we open CG, Jason Medley has the same exact presentation every single time. And a lot of people in there, you know, like, again, but he was so prescient. He was so right. You know, we are experiencing a winter right in business and he said take chips off the table take chips off the table right so i'm not saying don't grow keep grow keep pursuing right go out there and and do more things just ask your question ask yourself how can i do those things without taking as much risk how can i reduce the risk how can i reduce the downside how can i continue to grow and expand and do more without taking on any more risk you know i've been i've been in private conversations we're talking about multifamily like you know, a friend of mine has got some serious, serious headwinds right now, some serious challenges because he personally guaranteed a very large loan, right? And in <laughs> he literally everything is at risk right now because of this 
desire to grow and grow and grow and grow. And he was probably going to be fine. But I think if you just look at how can you grow and do more while still taking some chips off the table while reducing risk. Like me personally, I am no longer signing any more personal guarantees. I don't care how great the opportunity is. right? I am no longer signing personal guarantees. These are things you got to look at as you're growing. So don't stop growing. Just how can you grow without risking what you've accomplished so far? Very true, very true, Steve. I'm going to need you to uh, personally guarantee something for me. <laughs> Just wanted to go ahead and throw that out there. Summer Eric, my signature. <coughs> Eric, what about you, boss? So I actually, while I think each of these answers are pretty accurate, uh, when I look at a, a question or a statement like that, I, I start to dig in a little bit. And I, I think the assumption is that the ego is what feeding this person's desire to obtain this more significant financial freedom. So I, I actually was thinking about, it and I split it into two. I, I think that the question, as it was stated on there, was I reached financial freedom five years ago, and I'm still pushing. I think that's because we probably established a number that we thought would be attached to something else. So if I can just get a million dollars, I'll have freedom, freedom of choices, freedom of time, freedom of decisions. And we get there and it's like, I still don't, the money didn't provide me the actual tangible result I wanted. I got the money, but it didn't get the freedom. I think one part of that was we probably set the wrong goal. It wasn't the money. It was whatever we thought the money would allow us that should become the goal. Number two is, I think it's unfairly categorized as ego that drives us. The majority of people that I talk to, when you ask about why do you push, why do you do what you do? Why is enough not enough? If you get a couple layers deep, it's almost always about somebody else. It's about their family, their children, their grandkids, their community, the school they grew up at, the neighborhood they're from, right? The neighborhood they live in now. I think it's the absence of ego. It requires confidence and maybe a little bit of it feels selfish because we benefit from it. But I think generally what drives people, and this is my perception, is the ability to be able to do for others, not necessarily what we keep for ourselves. And those are the two parts. I think they got blended together, but one was financial freedom was attached to a number, and that's just not the case. It's financial and it's freedom. One doesn't guarantee the other. The first hey, Eric, part was, is it ego-driven? And I think the answer is no. So Eric, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal answer. So uh, he wrote a little bit more on the YouTube comment. So he said, the follow-up to that was, I know I'm only doing it because I'm scared to lose the notoriety and praise that I get for achieving things as a young person. So to give you some more context to that question. And I would yeah, say, what does, I would ask, what, why does the praise mean something to you? Right. What does the notoriety mean to you, right? Everything we look at oftentimes is we, I read a really good book called The Road Less Stupid. And he talks about so often what we do is we make decisions at surface level symptoms rather than root problems or root causes. So I've just started to condition myself to everything I look at, I question three or four times what, when, who, what, how. And when you get to the actual root cause or problem, oftentimes you'll be much better at making the right decision, not a surface level symptom decision. I would just caution based upon that second layer that was given, Steve, I would just caution, uh, Jason talks about this quite often in CG is don't take so much risk because of, because of the praise that the ego is being driven by that you set yourself up to have to start over. I don't know how old this, this person is, but I can tell you uh, I, I'm not, just to reiterate, I'm not in my 50s yet, 
But even at 46, I do not want to start over. You know, uh, I don't want to, none of us want to start over. So I would just caution that, you know, all of us are A-type personalities that are driven, that set goals and set new goals once we accomplish those goals, right? All of, everyone on this call and, and CJ and RJ are the exact same way as well. At the same time, at the level in which we've all gotten to, not one of us has a big enough ego that we say we're going to risk everything that we might have to start over tomorrow. So I would just caution uh, from that standpoint. Yeah. And just to, I mean, plug in here, right? Like I think if you're having, if you haven't been watching certainty talks, right? Paul Sparks and I talk about this a lot. And then there's, you know, uh, rigging the game by Dan Nicholson. Like a lot of the stuff that Eric talked about, uh, about you know being very clear on why you're doing what you're doing because if you're not clear on why you're doing what you're doing then all you're going to do is keep moving the goalposts. I am super guilty of that and I imagine some of our colleagues here have been guilty of that in the past as well. Yeah, what's the end of mind? That's what Paul talks about a lot. I love that about for a young man he's figured that out very very early on. Start with the end in mind. Is that it? Y'all got nothing else? Like I see Jimmy over there. Asleep. He looks like he's chewing on steel. Yeah, go ahead. Talk us. Tell us about more more about the chicken and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the I thought the panel did an accurate adequate job answering the question. I didn't think I could really add much. Wow, that's high praise from Jimmy. I, I mean, I think those are the most complimentary words he's ever used on I the mean, show. I mean, this is a deeper topic. I didn't feel like it was appropriate to do Jimmy the Bull and, like, talk <laughs> on everybody on this question. Getting everybody informed on this one? We're going to go right, ahead and like, move on. I thought it appropriate interrupting Leon purposely on this answer, Mike. Outstanding. I definitely Outstanding. do feel more informed, though. Do I get points for being more informed now? <laughs> You lose points, actually. <laughs> Unfortunately, Steve, we're not going to give you any more points for that. Oh. All right. <clears throat> I mean, so, maybe the only thing I'd add for that guy is like, dude, this is going to be a constant battle that's been fought by like the greatest philosophers, the greatest spiritual gurus for the last 3,000 years. So uh, I guess enjoy that journey. Yeah, li literally, especially after Eric broke us down there, you know, got all Freud on us and everything. Um that being said, on this round, I am going to go ahead and give it to Jimmy. But as everybody knows, in the chat earlier today, <laughs> I had already awarded a point to somebody on our panel. Now, does anybody want to tell who that is? Leon? I don't remember. Leon. That doesn't count. No, it counts. Trust me, it does, because I'm in charge over here. That was preseason. Yeah, well, you know what? We're <laughs> hey, we're all over here working hard. So Leon also gets the chat point for the win, coming in with the bat signal, looking <laughs> looking phenomenal for fifty. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you, Leon. We do absolutely. Um, that being said, thank you for everybody coming to pardon the disruption today. I apologize. I was taking a page out of RJ's book with regards to my scoring today. I'll do much better next week. I promise I will. I'm going to give every one of our esteemed panel some time to sign off. Go ahead and start us off, Leon. Awesome time as always. Leon G. Barnes with the Collective Genius. Looking forward to hanging out uh, with my brothers here on this call next week in California. First time we've been back since COVID started. Looking forward to that trip. A little fishing, a uh, little education, lots of good stuff. As I said today in the chat, 
I show up and I show out. That's what we do. Um, same thing. Shout out to Cam Brewer. You do the same thing this weekend. Go get that NIL money for me. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Leon needs a plan B over here. All right. Next up, Jimmy V, talk to us. It was a little more of an introspective, kind of a, a, a deeper conversation, less chaos today. It, it was a different it was a different feel today. But uh, thanks for having me on. Welcome to Ab- the big leagues. <laughs> Absolutely. Chicken. <laughs> Next up, Steve, what you got for us? Uh, so I think we should, you know, put, you know, for G, it should be Gotham, right? Like we, had to, we sent the bat signal and he showed up. So appreciate Leon. And, uh, you know, again, we got our Sales Disruptors event coming up March 31st, uh, April 1st, salesdisruptors.com. And I'm super excited. Looking forward to hanging out with these three guys, Collective Genius. We're going to be hanging out for three, four days, hanging out, talking business, growing our business, and maybe playing a little basketball. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Last but certainly not least, my, fa- my favorite guy to actually sit there and just bust chops. Eric, go ahead and, go ahead and send us out, boss. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Looking forward to tomorrow night to get to watch my son compete in the state semifinals against the number one. Team in the nation, Paul the Sixth out of Chantilly, Virginia. Hopefully, Saturday he's playing for a state championship, and then Sunday I fly out to San Diego. Would it be with a few hundred of the nation's top real estate investors, educators, apartment syndicators, and three of these gentlemen um, on this call today? I'm looking forward to it. I'll spend about a week out in sunny California. It's like 19 degrees in Pennsylvania right now, so that's a a welcome change of scenery. Um, if you need any help learning novations, it's a hot topic in today's market. Um, I give away a ton of free information and training on my Instagram. Um, you can follow me at Eric underscore Brewer Invest. Um, look forward to seeing you next week. Absolutely. And real quick, Eric, just to go ahead and break it down for you with some bad news. It's snowing in California right now. I just want to let you know. Like literally in LA and San Diego. So have fun on your trip. It's literally going to be like Pennsylvania. Everybody, thank you for joining us as always. I'm your host, Matthew Potter. Pleasure being here. Look forward to it next time. Hope everybody has an amazing day. See ya.